Welcome to the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Jess Mayhew. I cover nightlife and spirits for Baltimore Magazine, and this podcast is an extension of that coverage. We talk about bars, drinks, and the people that bring them to you. Okay, so welcome to episode seven of the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. Um, I'm here at Heavy Seas Brewery, and I'm with Joe Gold, who is the founder of Baltimore Beer Week, which... Hello, it's the eighth annual coming up, which is hard to believe. Yes, it is. I'm sure for you, too, since you've been there from the beginning. What did we start? <laughs> well, thank you so much for right. doing the podcast. Awesome. Yeah, it. thank you. Thank um, you. So I wanted to start out how I kind of start out with every podcast. Just tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to beer and the brewing sure. world. Uh, the shortest version I can give you is I'm a Baltimore native, uh, born and bred in South Baltimore, lucky enough to find the sport of lacrosse, and I got uh, recruited to college, played collegiate lacrosse. And I was hired by the English government right out of college to promote lacrosse in England. Wow. And that's where I found out about beer. And it was amazing. I lived over there for three and a half years. Uh, When I was leaving, I got a job with Young's Brewing Company in London. That was my first brewing job. I trained there for six months. And I came back to the United States to introduce the United States to Young's Real Ale. So what kind of beer were you drinking over there? Was it a lot of stouts or was it just all different kinds? That's a great question because there's lots of variety. But um, I did a lot of travel. And um, what's interesting about English taverns is it's a two-tier system. They, don't, they never had prohibition. So the pub is owned by the brewer. So when you walk in and you say, I'd like a pint of bitter, that's really the house pale ale, hmm. cast conditioned. If you ask for a pale ale, they'll give you a bottle. <laughs> so what you do is because all the taverns are owned by the breweries just about, every town you go to, you walk in and say, I'd like a pint of, the, of your bitter. Because then that's the base beer that all these brewers ta- taste against each other gotcha. all over the country. Gotcha. So you you can stray. You can try a, a black and tan, a mild, a, you know, a stout. But you really drink pints of bitter. And that's the that, good that's way to... That's the great way to find out what that brewery tastes like. And um, what the beauty of England is, because the pubs are owned by the breweries, a corner, you know, a, a throughway would have four pubs on it. Oh, that's awesome. You know, this pub would be owned by that brewer, that pub by somebody else, and you could walk between all four and taste the differences. There's, there's the by pub having, crawl right yeah, there. Right there. <laughs> yeah, right there. But it was the nuances of the cask conditioned real ale and what the publican brings to the, the equation in the beer business is was giantly uh, dynamic and influential to my way of thinking about the beer business. And when I came back to America, we didn't have anything like that. Right. I knew it because I was from here. And I've been striving ever since to introduce the the American public to a, a better way of drinking beer. Yeah. And so how did that coming back to America lead eventually to you to start thinking, let's do a beer week here in Baltimore? Well, that's a, that's a long question. So I'll give you the short version. <laughs> sure. Um, I was, I've done two things my professional life. I've been paid to be a lacrosse player or promote lacrosse and brew beer and, and sell beer. That I've done both and been back and forth. This is, I currently work for a brewery and it's my fourth brewing job. So I was out of the beer business 10, 12, 15 years ago and I started seeing breweries in Baltimore closed down. Mm. You know, Sisson's closed and the uh, Globe closed, Baltimore Brewing Company closed, Cap City closed. And and I just felt like there was a lack of enthusiasm going on around our city. And I didn't know what to do about it as a consumer, just a consumer. I mean, I was an advocate for beer, and I was crazy about it. And this was but, in the 90s? Yeah, this yeah. was, you know, well, yeah, 2009 is when Beer Week started, so this would have been in the late 90s. Yeah. And I'm just looking around, and a beer was percolating and things. You know, but it was not real. the enthusiasm wasn't really here that I saw. Yeah. 
And I talked to a few buddies and I got together and drank beer and homebrewed and did the things, but it was still not what I was, the buzz was gone in my opinion. So why do you, what do you attribute that to? Why would, do you think all those breweries were closing and people well, weren't excited about beer at that You got to look at 1995 as a seminal year. Um, in 1995 was the first boom of craft brewing. So numerous people got into the business because they had seen the, the up, Sam was, Sam Adams was growing, Sierra was growing, other breweries were growing, you know, so the class of, you know, 1985 was maturing right you know and all of a sudden a bunch of people got into it beer was all over the place and nobody had a lab nobody knew what they were doing the the quality control was non-existent yeah. and so the consumer was tasting all these weird beers and all of a sudden he tasted like homebrew and then you know a week into it it was oxidized and because there was no lab control gotcha. and so there was a bubble of consumers walking away really from the craft beer industry because of the excuse me, because the quality control was the big issue, yeah, um, and a plethora of beers that nobody had ever heard of, and a lot of people that were venture capitalists, a lot of people that, like I don't know if you ever heard of a brand called Pete's Wicked Ale, yeah, okay, that was number two in the United States in the craft beer business. Wow, it doesn't exist anymore. Right? How does right. number two not exist, not exist. In, from '95 to 2016? It's gone. Yeah, and it was it's been gone ten years. So there there was a lull in how the craft beer business was perceived by the public. Gotcha. And then I was looking for ways to kind of generate some energy and do some things, and I just couldn't find the right example. And then Philly Beer Week popped up. Hmm. And I said, hey, you know, I know those guys that are doing this. I've known, I've been in the business my whole life, so I rode up there, said hello to those guys. What are you thinking? What do you, what's the concept? Right. And then the New York Beer Week sort of was percolating, and I kind of went up there and talked to the guys from New York. And then I knew San Francisco was percolating. I didn't, nobody, I didn't know anybody in San Francisco at the time. So I didn't really go out to there and take a look. And then I got back to Baltimore and I started looking around and I said, eh, you know, it, it, we don't have it. The enthusiasm's not here. Right. So I was at a beer festival and I had a couple of guys t approach me and say, why don't we have a beer week? And I'm like, well, we, we just don't have it. I mean, there's, what do you got, five people are going to be interested? <laughs> you know, and, and that was a moment of a spark. And I, I was out of the beer business at all. I wasn't even in the beer business. Right. I was back in lacrosse. And I walked around that day at the festival and talked to a couple of people and dropped a couple of things and I said, okay, let me, let me pull a couple of people together and we'll have a, an initial meeting. And we held the initial meeting at Max's upstairs. I have about four or five people there. And I said, if we're going to do this, you know, I'm going to need some help. Yeah. But you know, what do you think? And everybody's like, well, you're all, you, you're a doer, you're going to get it done. So we'll, we'll help you. And your initial <laughs> concept was was just a week of events and, and tap takeovers well, or what? what I, again, like? the Philly model was different than the New York model was different than the San Francisco model. And we were literally like number four. There wasn't anybody else to take a model from. Right. So what I, we have a moniker here that I've always thought was nostalgic and wonderful. And it's celebrating the land of pleasant living, mm -hmm. you know, and I love the land of pleasant living just as a good visual in your head. You yeah. know, it's not a real place. It's just kind of a feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, we're not going to call it craft. We're not going to call it, you know, Baltimore, in, in just Baltimore. We're, we can't call it Maryland. It didn't really rhyme. Yeah. So we came up with Baltimore Beer Week. And the tagline was celebrating all things beer in a land of pleasant living. And so it was all things beer. So if you made beer, you celebrated beer. If you had beer on stage, if you mm -hmm. sung about beer. I mean, it was anything <laughs> to do with beer you could be in. Right. And it was more about showcasing anybody that was doing anything about beer. We weren't trying to make people create things. We were going, if you're already doing it, 
we're going to put the spotlight on Let's it. Let's highlight it, yeah. You know, and like Mark Supic is a, is a tap handle oh, maker yeah, over in... Oh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, you know, he, he was kind of, you know, trick, tricking along, tricking along, tricking along. All of a sudden, the craft beer movement started to happen. Beer Week showed up. All of a sudden, he's doing tours on Saturdays, and he's, his, his business is booming. You know, so it was a way to reinvigorate, from my perspective, the, the community of beer in, the, in our region, and I think we've achieved that. And a way to be inclusive, to not Absolutely. say, you know, oh, just because you don't make a certain kind of beer, you're not a licensed brewer, or you're yep. not this and that. You didn't. Uh, that, that was, I have never been an exclusive kind of person. I've been an inclusive person my whole life. Right. So what did that first, um, does, is it funny to look back on that first beer week now and just think about kind of the scale of it compared to what you're uh, doing now? How much we accomplished that first year in terms of laying the groundwork and the framework for it? Like we haven't really tweaked our model in eight years because we just got lucky to be right. Right. You know, we were all from here. We knew the industry inside out. You know, we, we didn't overprice, underprice. We didn't like have anything that had to be really tweaked. The, the technology has evolved, but yeah. the model for Beer Week hasn't really had to have too many tweaks because we got lucky. Mm -hmm. it, it just, it works. Um, I have people come up or call every year and say, hey, you know, I've been told I have to participate. And I say, no, no, no. If you want to participate, fine. If you don't want to participate, you don't have to. This is not about, you know, you have to do something. This is about yeah. whether you want to be involved or not. And if you do, we'll, we'll promote it. And you don't have to do the same thing you did last no, year. No, we love, the, we love the evolution of the events, the evolution of the uh, venues. Um, we, we, from year one, the thing that stuck out to me was we held the opening tap celebration on the Constellation boat in the Inner Harbor. And the, the capacity of that boat is 250 people. Wow. Okay. And we said, oh, geez. Okay. I well, hope we can fill it well, up. <laughs> we, we sold out. Wow. And I was like, I got to get a bigger boat. You know, it was like. <laughs> like I was a line like, from Jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. It was like the first thing I thought of is, yeah. oh my God, there's no way, there's no way that year one. We filled a boat, right? And 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 the limit was the boat. It wasn't the you know. So we had a different venue every year. We've never gone to the same venue because we've had been bigger and bigger. Great. And and yeah. speaking to that, I mean, the craft beer scene when you guys first started probably is, is very different from the way it Absolutely. looks today. So what Absolutely. what has been the biggest change that you've witnessed in the past eight years? Quality is number one. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that everybody's got a lab, everybody that's starting a new brewery understands that you know we're the guardians of quality the brewers are right you know if you open a restaurant and you have shitty beer shitty service and shitty food you're probably not going to be around too long yeah you know same thing with a brewery if you open a brewery and you don't pay attention to the things that are going to stabilize your beer on the shelf or in the tap somewhere else and you're doing weird wacky stuff and you know double this and triple that and everything you're going to find a niche but it's going to be a small niche and you might not be around long right so the, the biggest thing really is we've, we've experimented. The envelope for experimentation is wider than ever, but the quality is being dragged along with the experimentation, not letting experimentation turn into lack of quality, right. and then we still put it out there. People just doing whatever willy-nilly and not caring about how it turns out, yes, just exactly. for the sake of being weird. Yes, yeah, there is some that going on, but, yeah. the, but, the, but the beauty is, is that quality is the separator in today's world. And there's so many options for people now. I mean, if you want kind of those English style ales, there's yep. a brewery for that. And if you, uh, you know, want a little something a little more off off the cuff, there's a brewery mm -hmm. for that. If you want Belgian beer, there's a brewery for yep. that, um, sure. which is really cool as a consumer yep. because 
I mean, it's very different than how it used to be. Where well, and the other, the real big difference, and I hate to have to go here, but the legislative piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we had prohibition, number one, we had to change the laws of Maryland before we could even brew at all right. at the small scale level. Okay. And that happened in 1988 and 89. Yeah. I mean, in this is 2016, 2014 was the year where you could actually brew and sell your beer for money over the bar, yeah. first time ever since Prohibition. Which is amazing that it took that long. Yeah, it's so crazy. so that's how the Waverleys and the unions and the places like that, yeah. who are making great stuff, are making a living. Yeah. They get the margin over the pint of sale at their tap space to keep the doors open to do production brewing. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't do that in 1990, 95, 2000, and so you had to make it by selling every drop to outside sources, right. and that's a hard way to go. And now there's breweries that are opening up who are telling me their model is solely just to start out doing the tap yep. room thing and not even to go to bars. And so they're so right. lucky that they can do that. Well, if the, if the laws hadn't changed, they wouldn't have that option. Exactly. And it's great to have them at farmer's markets now. I mean, Absolutely. that's more of a recent thing, too. Yep. So you're right. I mean, the legislation, even though it's kind of wonky, is, yeah. is really important. It is. It's, you know, yeah. the man's always going to get the money. That's <laughs> exactly. the, I hate to say it that way, but yeah, it's yeah, just, it's you know. You got to follow the rules, and and we're such a regulated industry. Being beer, I mean, it's alcohol, tobacco, firearms. I mean, we nothing gets regulated like that. Right, exactly. Um, and so, talk about this year's beer week. Yeah. Um, just tell people kind of the the nuts and bolts, when it is, and, and how to find out information. Um, and I and there's I can't stress this enough. There are so many events that it is <laughs> it, it's overwhelming, but almost in a good way. I mean, you're not yeah. going to walk into a bar during that ten days and a bar that has a good beer selection right. and not know. Something that it's beer, about week. beer week, yeah. right? Yeah, that that's a great part of it is beer week. Whether venues participate or not, they're included somehow. Mm-hmm. There's a model that we have that includes non-participating venues also. Um, so it, it's in, it's pervasive throughout the society. I mean, people know it's beer week. They walk in, hey, what's your beer week special? Oh, we're not participating, but we do have this on happy hour. Okay, then you're participating. Right. You know that kind of thing. But this beer week is good. I mean, it's October seventh through the sixteenth. It's we start on a Friday, we finish on a Sunday. I get jokes from people saying, well, in Baltimore, the weeks are 10 days long. You know, <laughs> hey, when you live here, you hope they're 10 days long. It's a great place Week, to live. Week-ish, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it, the reason that model works is, is you get two weekends. Yeah. So the venues and the suppliers get two weekends. Right. And that's a good, you know, that's a good sort of way to run it. Um, the opening tap celebration is on Saturday afternoon. Um, that's always a wonderful opportunity to come out and see like a wonderful M&T Bank Stadium is, is the uh, the parking lots there. It's a huge venue, uh, giant turnout. Bigger it's the who's who. Yeah, it's way bigger than a boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's you know it, it's it's the largest event of Beer Week by far, and it's just a celebration. We tap the first firkin. We have a guest tapper. Then we pour it off the stage right out of the barrel, right into people's glasses, and they're all having fun. And uh, that's a two-hour window for the VIP and the opening tap. And then at 2 o'clock, that opens up to the Das Best Oktoberfest. And there's another 8,000 people waiting in line to come in and have their drink on. That's so, amazing. Yeah, it's that's amazing. A lot, it's a lot of people. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of fun. It's, 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 it sounds overwhelming, but once you're there and, and the size and scope of the thing and, the, and they have enough porta pots and loads of vendors, it, it feels really good. I mean, it's yeah. fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, it used to be held at Terminium Fairgrounds, and that grew outgrew Timonium. Amazing. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of beer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, what other kind of? I mean, obviously, it's. I think what's great too is so much of this stuff is free. Um, you know. Yeah. Well, it's pay as you go. A lot pay of this as you stuff. Go. Right. It's right. not we like you're that. paying a lot of. Yeah. Admission I mean, prices, there are beer dinners nice. for admission prices and stuff, but there's some wonderful things. Um, there, there's some Oktoberfest events. This time of year is perfect for that. Uh, you know, some of the more creative things. That's the thing that excites somebody that's. 
I am certainly not jaded by any stretch, but you know, when you've been to a beer dinner, you've been to a, a pint night, you've met the brewery, tap you've met the, this guy, the yeah. tap takeover, you know, you're looking for a little more excitement right. and, and, and a twist on things. You know, uh, one of the things that Nepenthe is doing is it's a homebrew shop. They're doing a course on the hop varietals hmm. and how hop varietals impact your beer flavor. So they're using a base liquid and they've hopped it in with different hops and you'll do a blind tasting Oh, that's so, awesome. so it's a base liquid was done all the same way, but this is how different it was with this hop versus this hop. That sounds like a really fun science experiment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you know, there's there's great stuff. Uh, we have a the inaugural Legends Hall of Fame. That's a new concept I'm putting together where we're celebrating you know individuals, icons, and and um, anything basically that beer has to do with our region, mm-hmm. and we're calling it the Baltimore Beer Legends Hall of Fame. And the inaugural luncheon is this that Friday, October 7th at Pratt Street Ale House. Uh, so that's going to be fun. It's going to be, you know, it's a ticketed item, but it's going to be, you know, respectful and, and sort of set the bar as high as we can set it with the resources we have right. in this first year to say, you know what, if you do something creative and different and interesting in Brown Baltimore, we're going to celebrate it and we're going to actually, you know, sort of stamp it in stone and make it, you know, for all time kind of stuff. So is it, are you going to be giving out awards to individuals? Well, we're going to or? induct uh, five individuals. Uh, four were inducted last year p- okay. posthumously, and there'll be a new inductee this year that I'd like not to give away right now. Fair enough. Yeah, so it'll be on the dinner. But there's loads of things. I mean, there's uh, pub crawls, which we, you know, there's the, uh, a self-guided water taxi tour. So oh, each stop cool. we've listed all the taverns. So, you know, say you're just out for a day and it's a beautiful day and you want to jump, you want to see Baltimore. The best way you can see Baltimore is on the water taxi. Yeah. That's one of the best ways to see our city you pay one fee you go to whatever stop the list of all the taverns you want to walk to is right there and it'd be a great day to you know great way to spend the day and you see a bunch of folks and it's Um, it's the easiest way to get from neighborhood to neighborhood yes it is because you don't have to deal with all the traffic and all the everything that's a wonderful thing to say about this the website you can sort by venue you can sort by neighborhood you can sort by sponsor you can sort by day so, you know, you say you, you only have that Tuesday free. A lot of people in the industry are off on Tuesdays because they work on weekends. Right. So you have Tuesday off. Boom. You look at what's going on Tuesday. There's 30 different events Tuesday. And you go, well, I live in Hamden. So you get Tuesday, Hamden. Hamden. Oh, that and makes it really Boom. Easy. This is where, it, these are the five things going on. Yeah. So, but they're, they're, those are things are, some of them, I mean, the Warfret does a phenomenal thing. They, they partner with the Science Center. Mm-hmm. And it's called uh, Science with Beer. And they do crazy experiments where you know they they can float different things in beer they can uh they use electrodes and electronics and stuff and and, you know makes the beer do weird things and you know but it's a science center based thing so it's 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 different than just having a beer in in a tavern um Bertha's always does a luncheon it's Columbus Monday is that during our beer week and uh, Bertha's is doing a luncheon uh, it's called Babes in the Woods and it, I hope that just doesn't offend anybody but it's about <laughs> uh, showcasing females in the brewing industry in our region it doesn't offend me and, and I think we, that's important and we have a beer cl- uh, a, women, a female beer club called uh, Beer Babes mm-hmm. which is kind of the play on the word um, how the luncheon came together and that's on the Monday at Bertha's uh, you know the, we got live music events all over town, you know, in the venues that do live music, Cat's Eye is one of the more famous ones. Birth is certainly one. Yeah. Um, Venice Tavern is a really cool spot. It's a great bar. Yeah, and they're doing a walking tour on the Saturday morning, the second Saturday, the 15th. And uh, it starts there, and they walk around to the neighborhood and talk about the, the Brewers Hill history. I mean, there, there were 30 breweries up on Brewers Hill at one time. That's so cool. Yeah, you know, and I mean, there's Baltimore is uniquely position to be historic in that we started brewing late 1740s 
And we've been ruined ever since. You know, L.A. can't say that. San Francisco can't say that. You no. know, even Boston. They weren't is, is, even there in the San Exactly. So, so we have a ton of history that right. a lot of our people that are from here unfortunately overlook sometimes. You know, they, they see the shot tower and they think historic. Yeah. They see Fort McHenry and they think historic. But, I mean, there's so much more history to this town. And I think for yeah. kids in their, you know, 20s, 30s um, yeah. who, you know, weren't around, obviously weren't around for that and maybe their parents weren't even around for that, it's it's really interesting for them to learn all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yep. No, it's cool. And then a couple other free events while you have me on a roll here. Sure. Uh, Brewer's Art does a disc golf uh, uh, you know, yeah. and that's a thing at Druid Hill Park or whatever I think it is, and that's always fun. That gets people involved all day long. Um, and you're active, so you're not just sitting on your bar stools, yeah, exactly, consuming calories yeah, the whole right, day. Right. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of these brewers will give tours. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't know if anybody's been to Brew House 16. I know many people have been in there, but it's a smaller place. It's an old firehouse, so they give a tour of the firehouse and the brew system and, and the restaurant. Oh, that's cool. um, yeah, you That's know. That's a really, it's, I'm so yeah. glad what the elements that they've kept of that building yeah. from the firehouse. Nice. It's so cool looking. And one of the other newer venues that have come on board is a, a small little place. It used to be Red Emma's. It's now called The Room. Right. And it's right on, I think it's Calver. No, no, no. It's on St. Paul's. Mm-hmm. And they they have somebody coming in and it's going to be, they're going to build a book. So they're going to teach you how to make a homemade book. To maybe document your beer travels or something like that, and that's you know kind of a neat little. That's you know, really cool. That's not something you do every day. Like no. the Baltimore Clayworks does make your mug. They 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 do a spinning wheel club and they you make a beer mug. That's so awesome. Those are the kind of things that excite somebody like me. You know, there, there's so many of them. I, I, you know, usually we get about 300 events each year, and we're right about there again this year. So that's 30 a day on average. And have you noticed, um, just thinking about all these different kinds of events, have you noticed a change in the the kind of people who are coming to Beer Week now as, as opposed to in the beginning? I mean, do you feel yeah. like you're, you're reaching a different kind of audience? I, I, here's what I think is happening now is we used to, in the early days of Beer Week, an event would happen where some people were already there. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, they're the Beer Week people. <laughs> you know. And now an, a Beer Week event happens and the regulars go, hey, who are all these people that just walked in? Because right. they're here for a beer week event. Right. So so people do travel the, the neighborhoods during beer week. It used to be you stayed in your neighborhood and like the, the person, the supplier would come into your bar and you go, okay, there's this guy, there's that guy. And now people are literally traveling all over town and going to see what the other neighborhoods feel like. And they might not look as obviously like beer nerds as you would no, think. It's, right, it's all different. Right. Like you said, I mean, I, I love that you're highlighting women in craft beer and there's yeah. all different ages that are into it now. Yep. So it's not just that kind of that stereotypical beer guy that you might think of um, at these at these events, which I think is yeah, cool. they're, 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 the, the beer nerd exists. <laughs> they often look very similar yes. to each other, but I think you'll find a plethora of people out during Beer Week in Baltimore anyway. Yeah. And I, we do get some outside visitors too. We've had, you know, I, I can't document it because I'm not in every event and we don't really have a clicker to tell how many people walk through the door. Right. You know, and, and we also, you know, one of the downsides of Baltimore Beer Week is it's beer related, and, and I don't know that the tourist folks, you know, embrace beer like they do the restaurant weeks or the, you know, when, when we have a big celebration that's cultural, you know, Light City Baltimore and stuff like that. I mean, the whole city gets behind that. I think because we're related strictly to alcoholic uh-huh. beverage, yeah. you know, I, the, I might make a phone call to City Hall or to, to visit Baltimore or somebody like that, not to call them out, but I don't get a call back. So right. it's kind of, I mean, this is a grassroots, you know, individuals doing this kind of movement. Totally. I mean, it's not like there's some corporation doing this. You're it's, not getting grants no, or it's spon- myself and, and my or... guy who's been with me from day one, Dominic Cantalupo, and then we subcontract out the website and some design. And 
that's it. And that's really Everything it. Everything else is, you know, just volunteers yeah. or whoever's, whoever's that's, there. That's kind of how it comes together. <laughs> do you, and do you think, um, and maybe the, this beer week is, is part of this, but do you think the perception of the Baltimore beer scene has changed as you travel around the country and, and talk to people from other cities and you say you're from Baltimore? Is there a, a different way they talk about the beer scene here? That That is a... I, loaded is the wrong word because here's w- what we have is a different dynamic than other beer cities. Mm-hmm. So if if what happened if the unrest in Baltimore happened in Seattle, which has a great beer scene, right. it may be looked at a little bit differently. If it happened in Denver, it might be looked at a little bit differently. You know, the fact that it happened in Baltimore, it's like yeah, they got a pretty good beer scene, but it's kind of also kind of. It's overshadowed. Yeah, by you know, and, and I, I honestly was very nervous last year at Beer Week. I didn't know if we'd have a following to continue Beer Week to go. Right. And I was pleasantly surprised with the turnout of the sponsors and the and the public to say you can't let Beer Week go. You yeah. you know we gotta you know we gotta fight through this economically and culturally and you know the unrest happened for a reason it didn't happen because of beer week and you know we don't shut down art museums and and, you know the light rail and libraries just because we had something you know what you do is you push through it and I think think something really interesting happened last year which is people that were very committed to the city of Baltimore became even more committed to it yeah and then Mm -hmm. maybe some people who live outside of the city and in surrounding areas didn't feel the same way but I think that the core the core people that really cared about the city that yep. even got stronger. So maybe that's yeah. kind of what well. I had a lot of dialogue with people. I'm a long. I'm a native. Yeah. I had a lot of dialogue about how disappointed I was and how things went in our home city, mm-hmm. where we had the National Guard come in and stuff. I mean, how, how do we let a small group of individuals, whatever color, whatever ethnicity, whatever background they have, shut down our population? That shouldn't be allowed in today's America. Right. right. And and so I, I was very strong opinionated about that, and. Um, if it would have happened a week or two before Beer Week, I might have just shut Beer Week down. Yeah. But I didn't want to let that happen. Yeah. Because we, we're bigger and stronger than that. I was very, very proud of the organizations. Like, I know the City Lit Festival still went on, and that mm-hmm. was a month after, maybe even yep. closer to that. And, and I think it's a testament to people that's, that decided to still, you know, have those events and hold those events and say, you know what, no, we're going to con- continue doing yeah. what we're going to do and be proud of our city. And I think... I think there's a lot to be said for that. So, mm-hmm. so kudos. Um, and so we are in the fall time of year, and yep. I I bring this up because I feel like the the pumpkin beer phenomenon has been just on people's minds lately. I feel okay. like it's kind of a, a divisive um, sector of of yeah. craft beer. I think a lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. A lot of people like to talk about it, or you know, only only like are very picky about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I read an article recently that the pumpkin beer sales are actually declining. Um, yes. So what, why do you think that's happening? What do you think it is about pumpkin beer that I have gets a very, people riled up? I would say long view of, yeah. of this particular topic when it comes to pumpkin. Um, the original pumpkin beer was made by Buffalo Bills in California at harvest time. And it was a spice ale. So it was a base ale, a little bit of spices. And it was one of the products the guy made. Um, we're talking 1985. The craft boom happened, then the craft bust happened in the 90s, mid-90s. And I think about three years ago, a couple of breweries put all their eggs into the pumpkin because that was a, a brand that grew up, and here's why I think it grew up in the 2000s and 2010s. Mm-hmm. It was an entry-level beer for a lot of people that don't drink craft beer because everybody 
pretty much has had a pumpkin pie. Right. Or they've tasted the fall spices. And so... Or they've had that god-awful Starbucks drink. Yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't had that. Sorry. So <laughs> I don't know that one. But yeah. um, but so pumpkin became sort of a entry-level craft. I can take a stab in the fall at craft beer mm-hmm. to see if I even like it at all. Right. And a huge population came to it. The next year, a similar size population came to it. That would have been two years ago. Mm-hmm. Last year virtually 50 to 80% of the people who were drinking pumpkin beer walked away from the category or graduated from the category into stronger, heavier, bigger beers, but the breweries didn't see it coming. Gotcha. And so brewers made similar amounts, maybe a little bit more. It hit the retailer shelves and there was just nobody. It was crickets. Did you, there was nobody buying it. Do you think the novelty wore off for people or that? I think their tastes evolved and, and actually improved. Gotcha. I do. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, you look at the rise and fall of something like, you know, root beer flavored alcohol. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was meteoric. And then they just laid off like 1,100 people at that company wow. because the sales aren't there anymore. You're talking about the not your grandfather's? I, that's how wow. I am. I, I don't like to name that. names, but so, yeah. Yeah, well. Yes. Oops. Um, no, it's okay. But um, yeah, so I, I think that people's flavors graduated. Their palate graduated from pumpkin. I thought it was, I think it was an entry. They graduated and it left a lot of the brewers holding the bag and yeah. a lot of the retailers got crushed. Yeah. Oh, I'm, the re, I'm sure. The retailers got, they hammered and, you know, one of the things beer business is not is what's called consignment sales. So I can't sell it to you and then you give it back and I pay you back. I can't do that. Right. So once you buy it, it's, it's yours. It's mine and it's going to so, just sit in the back. So, and, yeah. And I'm going to throw know. it out and I'm going to take a loss on it. Right. So when I come in next year and go, I got my pumpkin beer, you're going to go, you're out of here. You're crazy. I remember what happened. Right. So I, I can speak for, for my day job is we made about 400 barrels of, of pumpkin beer a year ago. Mm-hmm. We made 200 barrels this year on wow. purpose. Wow. That's really and, and And we're sold out. Which is where you want to be, right? You don't. But want to on have purpose, to be we made, you know, fifty percent less because we wanted to be the brand. That said, man, that one always works. Yeah, no, that's really smart. Um, I have to say that Heavy Seas really does have one of my favorite pumpkin beers. That's that's no bullshit. Greater Pumpkin's good stuff. Greater Pumpkin's good. It's strong. I think mm-hmm. I think it's smart to make a pumpkin ale that's an imperial stout because I yep. think it cuts that sweetness and it, it um, and you guys do it in, in bourbon barrels or well it's that... an imperial pumpkin ale it's not okay. a stout sorry about that that's okay yeah. and it's aged in bourbon barrels gotcha and it has some spices but it's not a spiced ale it's mm-hmm. more we use pumpkin puree in the boil so it's real it's it's real pumpkin but it's not put in after it's like through the whole process like we don't punt, throw a bunch of spices in at the end to get it spicy right so it's really nicely rounded and do you think that what what do you think is the key to a good pumpkin beer? Then is is it is it that is it not putting all the spices? In I, I think the key to a good pumpkin beer is having a consumer that's going to drink it. <laughs> that's the key. You know, yeah. I mean, we don't sit around here and go, okay, how many versions of pumpkin are we going to do, or how many, you know, are we going to do pumpkin again? I mean, pumpkin's not a radar beer for us. Pumpkin is a seasonal. Right. We've got a niche. Let's do that for that niche. It, it's not a driver by any means. Gotcha. Um, well, I, I know that we had talked about maybe sampling some Absolutely. of the, the greater a, pumpkin. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what you were thinking? Yeah, well, because we're at a place that makes this, the liquid, and I keep a cellar basically here at the brewery, uh, I, have ninth, I have 2016, obviously, that mm-hmm. just came out. But I have 2015's version and 2014 version, and we've put them in the, the fridge to chill down a little bit. And so that's called a vertical. So you taste year over year, three years in a row, 
and you'll find that the nuances over aging and the different crops year to year and the barrels are different year to year. So there's definitely going to be nuances from year to year in these and I can't wait to hear your comments on what you find as you taste all three. Awesome. All right. Well, let's let's drink them. Okay. Um, okay. So you've poured the 2014, which has a yep. little haze to it, you yep. said? Yep. So there is yeast in suspension and over time it will coagulate, come together and it'll generally drop to the bottom of the glass so you will see a haziness because it hasn't dropped out yet oh and look it, how different yeah it hasn't microscopically much. dropped out yet wow that's the the difference in clarity yeah. between last year and this year is amazing yeah yeah so each year is going to have a little bit of nuances so all right so we've got them all poured out here so should we start so i would what i would suggest in a tasting like this is 16 is going to be not necessarily the model, but it'll be the baseline. Okay. So I think you want to taste, briefly taste the 16 first to give your mouth okay. a sense of what the beer is supposed to. Should be like. Yeah, what, what we're looking for. I mean, it, yes, you can age it, but what did they start with? Because you might say to yourself, way too young, needs some years. Or you might say, wow, that's really pungent and lots of barrel. Right. And then you find out what this does over time. Okay, sounds good. So the nose... You know, it's, that's a fresh nose. It's not stale. It's not, you know, it's, it's not dank. It's really fresh, yeah. See, I feel like you can taste that, the, the bourbon. Yes, you can. Very, very strongly. Yes. And that's because it's young. I and think what, you're going to taste less bourbon in the older beers. And what spices come through to you? I mean, in this, a little bit of clove, uh -huh. you know, a little bit of uh, allspice. It, it's, it's not... There's no, it's not cinnamony, it's not sweet, no, it's, it's sugary, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's more earthy. Earthy, for sure. Mm -hmm. the, and the clove comes through in the, the after, mm -hmm. the aftertaste a lot. But you do get a bourbon edge mm -hmm. from the barrel, not, you know. See, that's why I think I like this beer so much. It doesn't have that overly cinnamony, nutmeggy yes. thing that a lot of pumpkins Yeah, it's not have. fruitcake. No, it's not. <laughs> it's definitely, it's not. definitely not. And it's not for the faint of heart, because what, it's 10? 10%. 10%. Yep. Okay, so moving on to yep. 2015. I would do 15 next, okay. you know, just to kind of see what one year would do to it. Oh, even on the nose, it's yeah. so much different. Yep. And it's I'm, just, it just it smells a little weaker, I guess. It will. Yeah. It will. It'll be less pungent, as we say. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say all the wrong and terms, so just... No, that's okay. <laughs> you know, the, what I smell here, the alcohol smell from the bourbon barrel mm. comes out because the, the, the pumpkin has faded. Mm -hmm. The hops have faded. Yeah. Like it's this bourbon alcohol. It's got smell. that little astringent yep. smell to it. Yeah. Oh. That's really nice. It is really nice. <laughs> it's kind of rounded out a little. It bit. has. Yeah. Yes, it has. It yep. had the mouth feels different too. It absolutely is. The yeah. effervescence is going to be different in the 2016 than it will as this mellows and matures. Oh, this 2015 is really nice. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's really good. And I doubt you can find any anywhere. I know, unless <laughs> some smart person has yeah. saved it in their fridge. You're, you're a genius. Yes. But yeah, no, this is great. That's really nice. Yeah. Now, you know, what I, what that tells me is I'm going to drink a 16 this year, but I'm going to put a couple bottles of 16 down. Yeah. That's what that tells me. And if I got any 15s left... Until I taste 14, I'm drinking all that this You're year. You're drinking all that. Now, if people want to buy, go out and buy the 2016, yep. is it in the stores right now? It's in now? the stores now, and it's sold out. to uh, The brewer is out, and the distributor is out. So what's in the stores is in the stores. So I got here right at the right time yeah. for this. Okay, so now we're going back to 2014. Now that tastes, I don't know. I don't love it quite as much as the 15. No, because what ha what's, what's happening now, again, the pumpkin is going to fade. Definitely. 
and that and now it's more sort of alcoholic and less flavorful uh-huh. you know it, it the blending the melding of the flavors has started to trickle away yeah it 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 tastes like this uh, is almost like a shot yeah and it, and it but it also has kind of a staleness to it yep well it's oxidation yeah. is what it's called okay. and because we're using agricultural products like pumpkin puree and stuff in there it's hard to stabilize that in a beer for over years and years yeah and the on the nose it definitely smells like a shot too. yeah it's more like a shot <laughs> yeah yeah, it's absolutely. And That's it, you so know, interesting. And, and these have been stored the same temperature in the same environment. So you can see aging can help. And one of the unique things about beer in today's world is brewers used to make beer and say, lay it down and age it. Yeah. But once it's been in a barrel, hasn't the brewery already done that for you? Right, right. So to, should you save or should you aged it? beers? You know? Right. I mean, the brewery's already done it for you. Right. So I used to have a, I had one of the best collections you could come by of, of vintage beers from around the globe of stuff brewers recommended you. You sort age. Of, yeah. yeah. You know, Thomas Hardy's, uh, you know, the, I had uh, uh, Fuller's Prize Old Ale. I had, um, I mean, there's numerous ones. I'm drawing a blank on every name right now. Right. But there's, and I've, I've gotten away from collecting because the brewers are doing it now for you. So yeah. now when I get one, I kind of taste it. So that it should taste how it tastes when you first open right. it up because it just came out of the, yeah. the barrel. But we found out that the 15 is probably one to I mean, savor. I, I think that's a really good... I think mm-hmm. it's it's kind of perfect, actually. And then if you go back to 16, you, you're going to see the whole different... It tastes really young and thin. It does. It tastes the, yeah, the mouthfeel to me, that's yeah. what's so different. Um, and yeah. I, I think especially on an imperial ale like we talked about, I think having the kind of fuller mouthfeel here is really yep. nice. That's amazing. I thought I was not going to notice. Oh no, no doubt. Because I'm was, not an aficionado, yeah. so I was like, eh, we'll see. No, but I knew you were going to notice. That was that was so great. <laughs> so okay, the key here is save your uh, greater pumpkin for a year. So try it after a year, try and then I think you're good. Um, and so before we go, I just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on where you kind of feel like the local craft beer scene is heading. Maybe in the next five mm-hmm. or so years, uh, what do you sort of? It, to me, it seems like there's a new brewery opening every day. It's hard to keep mm-hmm. up. They're very much so. That is a trend right now. I, I, it's unsustainable. Yeah, it really is. Uh, shelf space is at an all-time high for craft beers. If you're buying in the liquor stores or bottle shops, we call them nowadays. You know, you go into your local tavern. You know, they used to have 12 taps. Now they have 24, 36. That kind of, that's that's unsustainable. You can't keep fresh beer in that many places without all the humans right. to drink it all. Right. I think what's going to happen is the evolution of the breweries that are currently in existence are going to need to find ways to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best way to stay relevant is make great beer. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're going to, great beer doesn't go out of style. Yeah. You know, ownership changes might make something go out of style. Changes in recipes might make something go out of style, but great beer doesn't go out of style. But if you have that quality control, right. like you were talking about. Right. And the other thing is the tap space, the, mm-hmm. the brewery tap space that is, again, is only legal for the last two years. If you don't open in today's world with a brewery tap space and make retail prices over the bar, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And that's why you don't see large production breweries opening anywhere near us in this state anyway, because the the, the economics aren't there. Right, right. You know, I mean, there's a couple of large brewers 
U.S. craft brewers who have opened secondary plants. So you got Sierra Nevada opened a plant in North Carolina. Right. You know, you New got Belgium. New Belgium opened a plant in North Carolina. Right. That makes sense logistically. To Why would you ship beer made in California all the way to North Carolina when what, what you do now is ship beer in North Carolina into the middle and beer in California into the middle, and you save and you on all the trucking coasts. costs and everything and both coasts covered. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many people in this podcast will know that Stone Brewing just opened a Berlin plant. Wow. So in Berlin, Germany. And so they're going to service 17 countries in Germany rather than make it in California and ship it over there. Mm. So I, I think you're going to see local is going to matter for forever, but right. local doesn't mean good. Yeah. You know, right. regional means mean. good to some extent too, but you need to make good beer. And if you dominate your local market, you can go a little bit further afield. Yeah. What, what you can't do is rely on local only if you are looking for growth. Yeah. Because there's the loyalty factor is only so big in any particular place where you live. Right. And and I could, you know, for, for, I think one of the reasons that Baltimore hasn't had that iconic brand, so to speak, uh, is because we have too many choices. Yeah. Like yeah. when you go to Seattle and, and Portland and Denver, the market share in those towns is craft beer has 20 and 30% market share in those towns. In our town, it's more like 10. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's overwhelming being in a place like Denver and you just, you, people don't go to bars there. They go to breweries yeah. to hang out and it's, it's yep. kind of, you don't even realize sometimes you're in a brewery. You're like, right. Oh, I just thought I was in a bar. It's yeah, kind of right. mind blowing. Um, All right. Well, well thank you so much. Else? And um, if, if people want to hear about beer week, it's Baltimore beer week. I didn't even mention that. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. Baltimorebeerweek.com. Okay. That's Great. the best place to go. Um, all the events are there, you know, like I said, you can search in numerous ways, you know, take a look at the history parts of the page, the about us parts, the beer legends is on there. I mean, take, you know, the, the, the site's full of beer information and it's fun to just poke around and take a look and see what we have. And it's always changing. Great. Awesome. Well, I know I'll see you at a couple of events I hope and so. best of luck this, this yeah. year with the week. Thank you so much. For your all time. right, Jess. Thank you.